Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. The youth were out front uh, this morning, and uh, it got a little, it went from very cold this morning to very hot very quickly, so. Um, uh, all right. Well, I'm Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, if I didn't get to meet you on the way in, please, you know, feel free to stop me on the way out. Um, hopefully you got a gift bag, some contact information. We'd love to hear, you know, if you want somebody to reach out to you this week, we'd love to reach out to you. And, you know, if there's anything we could be praying for you or your family or anything. Um, this last week we had a prayer gathering here. We um, jumped in with uh, Salvation Church, uh, who is hosting one here, and uh, it was awesome. It was really good, um, and we're the pastors are meeting tomorrow night, and we're 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 trying to figure out like what what that looks like going forward because it it was. I'll I'll be totally honest with you. When I hear the words prayer gathering, I think I'm allowed to say this, but I'm I, I'm like yeah, I, I can pray by myself. I I don't really like that's not how I really operate. I, I'm a I'm a bit of a lone wolfish type of thing. Um. But it was awesome. It was really cool. And it was, it was um, what we're going to see at the end, those, those last few verses um, in Romans here, it, it lines up perfectly with some of the, um, the prayers that were being communicated. Praying for the salvation of our friends and family. And I got to be honest, <laughs> I don't do that as often as I should, certainly. It, it it was super convicting to me this week, frankly, because I'm like, man, Paul describes his relationship to some people that he doesn't know in a deeper way than I would say I pray and think about people I do know. <laughs> and that was super, that was a, a, a bit of a knife turn for me this week. And so as we dive into Romans, 30 weeks, I know that sounds like a lot, okay? It is a lot. Um, it's actually about as quick as you can get through Romans. Um, and we're doing that because we're going here and then small groups and your own personal study during the week is, is continuing on, right? And then we're back here. So if you're just coming on Sundays, you're going to get half of Romans and it's going to be very choppy, okay? So I would encourage you, if you're not on our text train, I'll be sending that stuff out. Um, if you're not in a small group, I would love to get you into a small group where you can continue in as we continue along these things. And LD did a phenomenal job putting all the questions together. And so those are up on the website. And so if you're not in a small group, you can still go to the website, look into resources, and you can see what the questions are each week for the, the verses that we're not covering here. Um, we're doing something else, too. That's kind of cool. Um, we, have, we have new prayer cards. They're green, and they're over there. So during the time of response, if you'd like to fill one of those things out, it's more than just a... Um, it's, it's, Liz, you know, I've been, I've been asked for a long time, can I have something that I can write larger than like a six font on? Um, so we have bigger cards. Um, we'd like to encourage you guys to use them. And so you can fill them out and put them in the offering box over there. But there's also these orange cards. We're going through Romans. There is no way I'm going to cover everything as we walk through it. So there are going to be pieces and parts that I'm going to gloss over not don't i don't want you to think that there's any sort of uh agenda there or anything like that that's where you're going to fill one of these things out you're like i want to hear more about that and you can mark do you want that response to be public or private 
If it's public, I might, at the beginning of the, of the next week, I might answer the questions at the beginning. I don't know. Don't hold, I, I don't, you guys know how I am with time. Um, or I might record a video and post it on our YouTube channel and then send it out on the text as well, so you can go lis listen to the response that way. Um, or if it's private, I can just reach back out to you via email and just go, hey, here's, here's kind of what that is. So this can be highly complex. This can be deep. This can be... Tell me what the, the meaning of that Greek word is, or where would I go find something to give me more information on this? Any of those things, like the pastors and I are going to be looking at these things and trying to give you guys as many answers as we possibly can. So I thought that'd be kind of a fun way to, to kind of keep the things rolling. And, and I will tell you that there's, um, there's a couple where I'm like, I'm like I could do like 10, verse, or 10 sermons on Romans 1 through 17, and people have done that. In fact, Martin Lloyd-Jones was the uh, pastor, minister, Westminster Chapel, I think. I think he spent like eight years from Romans. Don't worry. So thank you. You're welcome <laughs> is actually what should be happening here, right? No. Um, so, all right, with that, let me, uh, let me start by praying. Father, we thank you so much for this time. We give it to you. Um, we ask, Father, that you would equip us to proclaim the gospel, not just head knowledge, but that you would wrench our hearts, convict us, do what only your Holy Spirit can do, and change our affections and change our lives. We pray, Father, that as we, as we step through Romans, that you would just reveal to us truths in a different way, in a more profound way, and just a different way of seeing things and hearing things and, and understanding the good news of Jesus Christ. We thank you for this privilege. We thank you for this time. We give it all to you. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. All right. Here we go. You guys ready? Get your Bibles out. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's, you can obviously open it up on your phone. There's also Bibles scattered throughout, so you can grab one. The verses are going to be on the screen as we roll through it. But sometimes as I, as I continue to talk, um, you know, the verses might come off the screen, and so it might be helpful for you to to turn to that or highlight or, or whatever you want to do. All right, the letter to the Romans. We're going to spend a little bit of introductory time, okay? <laughs> I'm going to do my best here. Um, it's unquestionably recognized as an inspired uh, letter in the Bible. There's not a lot, of, like some of these letters, right, there, there's people that will be like, oh, this one maybe wasn't in the original, and we don't really know if people thought of it as authentic or or that it was, it's unreliable. Romans isn't like that. Romans is pretty intact. Uh, in fact, we have some pretty good evidence of, of what it is, and so I'm going to spend a little bit of time up front. So there's uh, Codex Vaticanus. That was is a full codice, a codex, like a book, basically, in papyrus of uh, Romans. Uh, and it goes front to back, and that's a picture of it. Um, it it's in, like, I think it's actually in Michigan. Uh, yeah, go to Michigan, right? Um, so it's in Michigan, and then I think in in, uh, in England, um, and so that's got all of Romans in it. And so this is from the fourth century, so we're talking like you know mid 300s A.D. Um, we have something even older than that, and that's uh, it's called P46. It's papyrus. It's just a fragment that we found. It's a fragment, but it's a fragment of Romans 5:17 through 16. So we're just missing the first you know, uh, five chapters or four and a half chapters or so. And, and clearly you can see, you know, this is 
These are called uh, fragments because clearly it's a, it's a fragment, right? Um, and so, so these, are, these are the oldest ones. There's plenty of others, right? And they get older or they get newer, right? They're more recent than these. But these are the two uh, really oldest ones that we have. Another thing, and so, we, we, so scholars, when they're writing this in English, right, which like that's not clearly not in English, right? Um, they, they look through that and they, and they interpret it and try to figure out what's the best English uh, word to use for that Koine Greek word. And so, they, and so that's why you get different translations in scriptures, right? It's kind of synonyms. It's just, you know, there's two different ways to say that or three different ways to say that. Um, additionally, what you'll see is that um, we see that the authenticity of it is communicated because the church fathers quoted it very early. So Clement of Rome, probably a good person to look at to see, like, was he aware of this letter that came to his city? He was the bishop of Rome. He died in 96 AD. He quoted Romans 12.5. So clearly, he had a copy of Romans and was quoting it before uh, the turn of the first century. And so we look at that, and when people say, oh, well, Constantine, and then they go off on whatever rabbit trail that is, we're well before that here, right? And so that's a beautiful way for us to look at the reliability of this and go, yes, actually, what we're reading here is really what Paul wrote. Let me clarify. Clearly what Paul spoke. Tertius was Paul's writer. And he says this in chapter 16, that Tertius is the one that is actually writing it down. So the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to speak these truths. Tertius writes it down, and that's what we got. So that's like the foundation, if you will, of Romans. Here's what's super cool about Romans. A lot of times people look at it and they're like, oh, it's this like systematic theology. It's just this big, like heady, knowledge-based, like it's just abstract. Somebody says, Paul, tell me the gospel from front to back, right? And Paul just sits down in a vacuum and just starts writing. We're going to see that it's clearly not the case. Um, in fact, there's, there's a reason why Paul's writing it. And what we'll see is that the letter to the Romans is really like a recipe book, right? So Jesus walks around for three years in his public ministry from about 30 AD to 33 AD and says all sorts of things. And then Paul, later on, right, now writes a lot more than what Jesus said. And so we need to ask ourselves, were they in sync? There's a lot of people that actually try to divide that. And they say, oh, this is Paul's gospel this is paul's theology and this is this is what christ said and they go to the sermon on the mount and they basically stick with that for jesus and they basically dilute everything that he said but what we're going i'm going to try to do as we go through romans is connect them like jesus said this paul gives the recipe for it so jesus says you're saved by grace and paul goes let me explain to you how that worked and so that's what we see and so when we look at the inspiration of the bible we see that both paul it, well, Paul and the rest of the writers, right, Luke and John and Peter and everybody else, right, as they're inspired, they're providing these details. And so what Paul does in Romans is provides this really detailed recipe of not just you're saved by grace, but how does that work? How are you saved by grace? And what are the implications of that? All right, so we're going to start in Romans 1.1. 1, 1. It says, Paul a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So this is Paul, okay? This is, this is the Paul that we know 
from Acts chapter 9. If you would, if you want to turn over here. This is Paul, who was what? He murdered Christians professionally. That was what he did. He tried to stop Jesus. He, he, he did not want any part of the way, is what they called it at the time, but they didn't, he didn't want any part of Christianity. And so we see that in Acts chapter 9, verse 3, Paul is on his way to Damascus to imprison and kill Christians. And it says, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul was his name before this event. And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. That's the call, right? Paul's, Paul's was a very specific call. You will be told what you are going to do. This isn't, this isn't confusing. He goes, okay. And you can continue to read on in Acts chapter 9 as, as things progress and Paul goes to Ananias and then like, you know, people are clearly afraid of him, right? It's really hard to get involved in a church when you've been murdering the church. Um, you think it's hard for you guys to get plugged in, right? Like imagine, right? Um, and so then what we read is Galatians chapter 1. We read of how Paul saw his mission. He wasn't in conflict with Jesus. He wasn't, he wasn't trying to uh, change what Jesus said. In fact, look at what he says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. None of us can say this. We were all taught the gospel right? You, you had somebody that taught you the gospel. If, if not, God willing, I'm the one teaching you this morning, right? Like, we've all been taught. Paul was not taught the gospel. This is, this is fundamentally important because this is the definition of his apostleship. God gave him the gospel, just as Jesus, the Son of God, gave the disciples the, the, uh, the gospel. I lost my train of thought there, <laughs> Right? Like, that's what defines an apostle. And so he goes on here in verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. I go past where I was going to. Okay. So, so he goes on in Galatians. And it's super cool. And I would encourage you to go back and finish reading Galatians chapter 1. Because what Paul says is, I actually left. I didn't even go to Jerusalem. I didn't go to the church. Like, God, Jesus revealed this to me. He gave me all these truths. And then Paul went preaching. That was it. Like, he didn't go to seminary. He didn't go through training. He, they didn't have a communication strategy. It wasn't like, hey, what, 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 how exactly do you guys communicate this? It wasn't any of that. Paul just went, which tells us that there's some authenticity to what he's saying. He's like, this is not man's gospel. This was God that gave me these words. And clearly, we see that they're totally in sync with everything that Jesus communicated to us as well. All right, so he writes this letter between 55 and 58 AD. Um, it's the end of his third missionary journey. So we're looking 20 years after 
Jesus has died and risen from the grave, right? Like, this is when Paul's writing. Romans is one of his last letters that he's writing, and we actually see the occasion of it. If you go to Romans chapter 15, and this is just kind of fun, if you go to Romans 15, verse 25, he says, At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution to the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. So he was writing at the end of his letter, and he says, at present. So here's Paul. He's got the collection from Macedonia and Achaia, and he's taking it to Jerusalem. So we go, oh, well, great, awesome. He gave us a time stamp as to when he's writing this thing. Well, turn over to Acts chapter 20, verse 2. It says, when he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months. And when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And he stays in Macedonia. And then he goes to Jerusalem. And so you can read more of that context in Acts chapter 20, but that's the context. That, and that's actually partly how we time and figure out when he was actually first writing uh, the letter to the Romans. Now, when he's in Corinth on his third missionary journey, he meets a couple people. He did not know the church. He did not plant the church in Rome. He, he had never even been there, and we'll see that as we, as we walk through it. He'd never been there. In fact, he lists off like 24 people through the letter to the, to the Romans, and so it's an exhaustive list. Um, it's kind of like, if, you know, in his other letters, he mentions one or two people, clearly not exhaustive, um, but he's calling out specific people. If, if, if I wrote a letter to the church and I wanted to like write it to all of you, I would either say nobody or I would have to say everybody. It's kind of like inviting to a birthday party, right? So like you, you either invite everybody or you invite kind of nobody, right? And so, so Paul lists off so many people that most scholars are like, those are the people that he actually knew in Rome. And two of those people you probably have heard of, Aquila and Priscilla. He meets them in Corinth. In fact, here, and here's the dating stamp. This is going to mean something here in a second. The emperor Claudius kicked out the Jews from Rome in 49 AD. Claudius dies in 54 AD. This is important. Priscilla and Aquila left Rome because they were Jewish Christians, and they got kicked out by Claudius. And so they met Paul in Corinth. And so that's where Paul meets them, and certainly... He's aware of what's going on. And so now he's writing this. That happened in 49 AD. He meets Priscilla and Aquila. And then he writes this letter. Maybe he sends it back with them, and we don't really know. But the Jews necessarily probably went back right as soon as Claudius died, and another emperor came in. So probably right around that 54, 55 AD time frame. And so that's where they, they time these things. Here's why this matters. Imagine you're the church in Rome in 48 AD. It's a mix. You've got Jewish Christians, and you've got Gentile Christians, non-Jews. And, it's, it's a, it's a, and the scholars debate exactly what that looks like, but there was some that were Jewish and some that were not. And so some had come and br been brought up with the law, right, and sacrifices and all that, and some were like, what are we doing, <laughs> right? And so these were the, these, this whole group was together until Claudius kicked out the Jews. So now, all of a sudden, half the church is gone, right? And they're gone for like six years, seven years. Now they're coming back. 
there's some, there's some, there's some problems with that. There's some disunity. There's probably some, some conflict. There's some discussions as to what does this look like. And so what Paul does in the letter to the Romans is goes, let me explain to you how it does not matter whether you are a Jew or a Greek. How it does not matter who you are or where you've come from. The gospel applies to everyone because here's the recipe. Let me show you why it doesn't matter what your background is in the law or sacrifices. Let me show you why it doesn't matter that you've been sacrificing to pagan gods and live this crazy, debaucherous life. It doesn't matter because we're saved by grace. We're saved by unmerited favor shown to us by God. And so that's what Paul does in the letter of the Romans. So that's, that's the macro level, big picture of what Paul's doing. So as we read through this, we can't just get caught up in just like the little nuances, right? They're important, but there's a larger context that he's trying to communicate this in. Right? So, so that's what we're going to do. So five parts we're going to go through. I promise we're going to get to Romans uh, verse 2 here in a second. Um, there's really like five, in, in these 30 weeks, you're going to see different chunks. And it's going to make it a little bit easier for us to kind of wrap our minds around it, okay? The first one is that we're separated by sin. That's what Paul spends the first chunk of this going through. He's going to say, let me explain to you the first part of this. Sadly, it's bad news. It's bad news. There's a chasm. You're separated by sin. That's part one. Part two is that we're rescued from sin. God rescues us. And then we're going to spend a bunch of time on on that, that, that God rescues us from sin. But he doesn't just rescue us from sin. The third part is that he adopts us. We're children of God. This is... Not necessary, but it's what God chose to do. He actually adopts us. He brings us into his family. And then fourth, he's going to spend time talking about God's sovereignty in this whole mind, this whole plan of salvation and rescue and, and just this beautiful way, like how it's so dependent upon God and so not dependent on you, <laughs> which is why we call it the good news. <laughs> and then the fifth section is what does it look like having a gospel-centered life? What does a gospel life look like? What does it look like when we have a life where we understand parts one, two, three, and four? How does that change our daily lives and how we live and how we think? So that's 30 weeks right there, all right? So that's what we're going to be going through, all right? You guys ready to keep going in Romans now? How are we doing? All right, we're going to back up. I'm going to read one through four. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who is descended from David, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay. Paul's going to do this a lot. That's a lot of, that's a lot of one-liners in there, and it's and he's known for run-on sentences. And so we're gonna we're gonna roll through these things, okay? Um, so first, he's called to be an apostle. That means he's sent. He's, that's what that means. Messenger sent of what? What is he sent to do? The good news, the gospel. That's what gospel means. It, it means good news. And so so outside of the Christian verbiage, this was normal Greek words. This was not abnormal, right? Like, if somebody were to give birth, they would say, go, tell somebody the good news, the gospel. Like, it had nothing to do with Christ in particular. It was just a normal Greek word. 
okay? And it just meant good news. And you would send somebody to go tell of the good news of the birth. And you would send an apostle. Like, so so we, 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 it's hard for us to not think of these as Christian words, but they are. They're just, they were just Greek words that then we took and went, this is actually, and now we start using a capital G, right? And we're like, no, 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 actually he was a capital A apostle. He wasn't just any messenger. He was a messenger of God, okay? And then it says, what was he a messenger of? Uh, it, or sorry, it, so he goes into this gospel of God, right? And he says, first, it was promised through the prophets, okay? So that means the Old Testament scriptures, the gospel, the good news, this was all promised. This wasn't new. This wasn't a reaction by God. This was God's plan. This was part of his timing to redeem all of humanity. And it says that through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. So the gospel is about who? Jesus. That's it. If you ever hear somebody talk about the gospel, capital G, gospel, they're not talking about Jesus. They're not talking about the gospel. Talking about something else. Because the gospel is the central figure of the gospel. The reason why it's good news for us is because of Jesus and what he did. That, that is the good news. He died on the cross, gave us his righteousness, and took our sin. That's it. That's the good news. You don't have to do anything for that except trust and believe that he did that. And look at what it says. Verse 4. He was declared to be the son of God. What? By his great teaching and great wisdom? No. No. He rose from the dead. Anybody? There's a lot of great teachers out there now. It's a lot. Um, I, won't, I won't name them because then we'll get into other stuff. But there's a lot of really good people out there, that, especially on YouTube. And you're like, man, that's some great stuff. It's a great quote. That's a great I'm going to follow them. I'm going to subscribe. I'm going to whatever. And, and if you're young in here, you're probably like, I want to be one of those people that people follow and subscribe. No. No. That's not what it's about here. Jesus said some incredible things, clearly. But that's not what declared him to be the Son of God. The Sermon on the Mount could have been spoken by anybody, frankly. But it was spoken by our Lord. He conquered death. You got, you got anybody else? Anybody else that you know of that conquered death? That, that said, hey, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to come back. I'm going to bring myself back to life. Any, anybody know of anybody else? Any of these other gurus or smart, wise people? No. No. There's nobody else. That's what declares him to be the son of God and the central figure of this letter. And now look at, look at what the... Uh, the purpose of this is in verse 5. It says, Through whom, Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. If you got your Bible, underline that. Obedience of faith. For the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So this is, this is Paul saying, like, we, like, it's through Jesus that we've been given grace and apostleship to go to proclaim this to all the nations. And he says, for what? The obedience of faith. Those are two separate words in my mind. Aren't they? Kind of? To you, maybe? I don't know. I'm like, obedience is over here, and faith is over here. That's how I picture it. Although that's not true. 
There's an obedience of faith. In faith, we obey. Okay, remember last week, Psalm 130, right? What did we talk about? That, that the, the psalmist didn't just want mercy. What did he want? You guys remember? Wait. It wasn't mercy. He wanted forgiveness. And what was the difference? Forgiveness is a relationship. Mercy, a judge can give, and you don't even know the person. Forgiveness is, that's relational. That's like, I care for you, and, and so I'm going to forgive you, right? In the same sense, faith produces that relationship. That forgiveness that comes with faith creates a relationship. A, a relationship that what? Results in obedience. I want to obey. I don't have to obey. I want to obey. It's not reluctant obedience. Clearly what we're going to see is Paul was not reluctant in anything that he was doing. When he got called on the road to Damascus, he wasn't like, oh, I guess I got to do this now. No, he was on fire. He was like, this is what I'm called to do. It's not reluctant obedience. And so this is why he's preaching this. He's writing this letter. He's like, I want you to obey because of your faith. Go. Like, see what beauty and contentment and joy there is in faithful obedience this didn't come out of the blue jesus said the same thing go to matthew chapter 28 we're called you guys are probably familiar with this verse matthew 28 verse 19 go therefore and make disciples of all nations this is jesus talking to us baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit teaching them to observe all that i have commanded you and behold and with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus said this already, right? Paul's saying, like, like we're, we're going, I'm going to do this, right? Paul's like, I, I'm going to teach the obedience of faith. All right, so who's this letter to? Verse 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. I will say that that, that line in verse 7, to all those in Rome, some of the manuscripts have that removed. Why do you think? So it could go to other places and not Rome, right? They're like, hey, erase that. We're going to make this a cyclical letter because it's, it's so good. It's good stuff. It's a recipe of the gospel. Let's, let's get this to other churches, right? And so some of the manuscripts, they have that line removed because they want it to be universal. But what we see here is that Paul has been wanting to go to Rome. Strategically, that's probably a pretty smart place for him to go. That was kind of the, the hub, if you will. This is his third missionary journey. He still hasn't been to Rome. And what might they think? Well, why isn't Paul coming to Rome? Why isn't this happening? And Paul's like, I've, I've been trying to get there. I have. And you can go back through and read Acts. And as Paul's like trying to go, and then things get changed and diverted, and he goes in jail, and here are all these things going on, right? And so what Paul is saying, he's like, I've wanted to come to you. So don't think that my absence communicates anything about my affection for the church. That's what he's saying here, which is, which is a very beautiful way for him to talk about this. 
And then listen to what he says in verse 11. Here's, here's why he wants to go specifically in this calling, or why he's, he's wanted, wanted to go. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Pause right there. Kind of like, oh, I mean, Paul's an apostle. That's good. He's, he, the Roman church was lacking because they had not had the, the, the words of Paul. Yes, to some extent. But then read what it says in verse 12. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Underline all that. Because this is not unique to Paul. If it would have been unique to anybody, it would have been unique to Paul. That like Paul walks into churches and like gives them all that they need for them to be strengthened. But Paul says, I want to go to be encouraged by your faith. This faith that had been heard about throughout the world. The, the faith of the Jews in Rome, uh, the Jewish Christians in Rome, and the faith of the Gentile Christians in Rome. Paul wants to go there because he wants to be encouraged and strengthened by their faith. Isn't that cool? Isn't that beautiful? So let me ask you, is your faith for you? Or is it to strengthen others? This rocked me a little bit. <laughs> we are a very individualistic culture. And we very easily go like, I have faith. <laughs> I got my ticket to heaven. I don't know what everybody else's deal is. <clears throat> I'll try to explain it to them when I get a chance. It's not how he describes this. Like, everybody in this room who's a believer, who has the Holy Spirit, your faith is for the person sitting next to you, not just for you. It encourages each other. How? Have you, I mean, man, I, I, this is going to be the hard part. There's a, uh, there's a guy that used to come to our church. Um, his name's Timo. Um, man, that dude. And I, I looked at my, I actually texted him uh, two days ago. because I hadn't, I hadn't chatted with him since like July. Um, so you can see how close our relationship is. Um, but honestly, like, like we talk often. Um, we don't talk often. We talk Frequently enough to be encouraged by each other. This guy has gone through it. Um, I mean, those of you who were here in the church saw him go from just normal dude walking in to, like, when they moved, like, he was wheelchair bound and couldn't even, and, and the doctors didn't know what was going on. And they still, I mean, he's still in all sorts of stuff. I, frankly, like, it's miserable. But his faith is incredible you guys i mean like every time i talk to him i'm like it's like i feel like i'm gonna call chemo and see if i can encourage him a little bit <laughs> right and it's the total opposite like he's encouraging me as we talk and and he's like oh yeah man yeah i mean things are great and i'm like bro you're nearly bedridden his faith and i can't even go through everybody in this church that i know in different ways, in places, and stuff that you've been through. And it's an encouragement to me. And as, as you guys in your small groups, and in men's groups, and ladies' groups, 
as you guys talk about these things, that's, that's the point of that. So you hear what people are struggling with, and then you're like, man, you, you see their faith, and you, you hear words that you're like, man, that's like, I don't know if I would say that at this juncture in my, if I were going through that. Frankly, I would probably be a little bit upset and faithless and hopeless. Be encouraged by that. That's the point. So this is what Paul's like, I want to go there because I want to be encouraged by you guys, not just to encourage you. I, I, our faith is not for ourselves. And then he goes on, and he kind of doubles down on this. Look at what he says in verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. That's like three sermons right there, okay? So bear with me here. So first, it sounds very weird. He says, I want to reap a harvest, right? I feel like that wording just like doesn't match like contextually or with our society. Like, what in the world are you talking about? It seems very manipulative or, or it just seems weird, right? But go back to John chapter 4, verse 34. Listen to what Jesus says about this. Jesus is talking to the disciples. He says, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Jesus is saying, like, I do the heavy lifting. <laughs> I change the hearts. You come alongside and look. Look at the fields. He's, he's using the fields as a as a metaphor for us and human souls, right? He's like, look, it's, it's ripe for the harvest. Like, you need to go now. Go. You're being sent. Go and make disciples. Go proclaim the good news. It's ready. You're joining into my labor. You didn't labor. You didn't do this. And lest we completely confuse ourselves, we do not change anybody's hearts. If you have kids, you're fully aware of this. You cannot change hearts, right? But God can, and he does. That's what he does. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That is conversion. That is salvation. So when he changes these hearts, like, we get to participate. How do we participate? By proclaiming the good news, by ta talking about who Christ is and, and how he was raised from the grave and how he's conquered these things and how we're saved by grace through faith. Like, that's how. And so when Paul says this, he's like, yes, this is what I want to do. What Jesus said to do, that's what I want to do. Verse 14, I am under obligation. King James Version, the actual Greek word says, I am a debtor. I am in debt. Who here is in debt? Oh, oh, come on. Who here is in debt? Come on, Ava, raise your hand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
She just bought her first car, so. Right? We're, we're all in debt. I mean, that's not, I, I don't know what your financial situation is. I, God willing, we will not all be in debt, right? Like, like anyway, we're, we're, this is not a financial discussion. Go to some, go to some YouTube video, some self-help somewhere. All right. Um, look at who he says he's in debt to. He does not say I'm in debt to God. Who is he in debt to? What does it say? Greeks and barbarians. Quick side note. You know why I said, bar- what, you know where barbarians came from? Because they sounded, they could not speak Greek. And so they said that it sounded like they were saying bar, 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 bar. So that's where you get the word barbarians. Anyway, look, Google it. Look it up. It's funny. All right. So all they're saying is, this is, I'm under obligation to what? People that speak Greek, which was the cultured, refined world, and all these people that can't speak Greek. That's what he's saying. Paul is in debt to them. This is really important. He is not in debt to God. This is critical, you guys. He's not in debt to God. Who are you in debt to? If somebody gives you something, or not gives you something, if somebody loans you something, you're in debt to pay that back, right? It's an exchange. I give you this. The bank gives you a house. You pay them back over forever, right? That's, that's what a debt looks like. Does God give us something? And he's like, you, you sign on the dotted line. You owe me. No. Not at all. In fact, that's the opposite of grace. What's grace? It's a free gift. Imagine if I were to give you a free gift, and you're like, how much do I pay you for this? If I give you a gift, and I say, here's a gift, take it. And you're like, oh, let, me, let me pay you. I'm like, bro, it's a gift. It's a, it's a gift. Take it. It would, in fact, be insulting, wouldn't it, if you demanded to pay for the gift I gave you? you? With me on this? That would be insulting. That would say that the relationship isn't there. You and me, we are not under obligation. We are not in debt to God, lest grace be completely removed from the equation. But the gospel is grace. And so we don't owe it. What do we owe? We owe this to the world. That's what Paul's saying here. We owe this to the world, to everybody. Let me, let me, uh, I'll try to throw out a metaphor here. I probably should have thought through this a little bit beforehand. You know me. I'll I'll do it on the fly and then I'll embarrass myself somehow. So, like, if you, if you were like, (laughs) I really should have thought about this. Um, Like, let's say you were trapped in a maze. Oh, I don't know. Right, we're just going to go with that one. All right, let's say you were trapped in a maze, and you knew the way out. Not because you, you did anything, but somebody told you the way out. When you, like, and then you see, like, your, your, your wife or your husband or your kids or your, your friends, and they're running by you trying to find the way out, and you know the way out. What would that be if you didn't tell them? If this was their life, wouldn't that be pretty hateful to not tell them the way out when you know it? Let that one rest for a second. 
to, we, we saw this last time in Psalm 130. Like, if, if, if we're really concerned for the eternal salvation of people's souls, we are under obligation to them. To love them enough to tell them the gospel. And so this is why in verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Are we ashamed of the gospel, he asks? Not in this context. We're all good with it here, right? Comfortable here. Man, I'll admit, I, I pull back. I pull punches. I... Don't say things when I should and not super responsive to opportunities when the Holy Spirit goes, hey. And I go, hang on. Not, not right now. It's not convenient. Maybe that's shame. Maybe that's embarrassment. It's weird, isn't it? Why would, we, we, why would we be embarrassed by it? Why would we be ashamed about it? We just sang a song, right? Everybody's searching. Help me out with these lyrics. <laughs> but like, it said, everybody's searching, but I know the way you provided. What was it? Anybody? Anyway. You guys all sing it. Yes. Thank you, Mike. And only God provides. Right? We know this to be true. The whole world is searching for answers. Why are we telling them? Because we're embarrassed? We're ashamed? Because this is what Paul says in the rest of verse 16. He goes, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. It doesn't matter who they are, where they've been, what they've done. It doesn't matter what sin they're currently involved in. You with me? does not matter what sin they're currently involved in. It does not matter that they murdered many Christians, clearly. Because this is Paul saying this. Everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For it is in the righteousness of... You, you, you stumbled on this one too, didn't you, Brian? For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul goes, this is the power. How could I be ashamed of this? This is the power of God for eternal life. I'm compelled, I'm obligated to tell it. I want to. On, on Wednesday night during the prayer gathering, we prayed for salvation for people, and I was like, man, that's what I want to do. I want to pray for people's salvation. I know you, you're probably like, don't you? <laughs> like, no, not, not, not as I should. We all should be, I mean, like this, we should wake up in the morning going like, is today the day you're going to save this person? God, I hope so. Is it, God, would you, would you put some words on my mouth that, that's like just the, the, the right words at the right time? Would you put somebody in this person's life, maybe they live across the country, would you put somebody in their life today that will say something, that will change something, that will soften their heart, that will convict them? This is how Paul saw his life. He's under obligation. Preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And so are we.
verse 17 verses. This is beautiful, you guys. And this is, this is just the intro, right? This is just where Paul sets this up. And he goes, he hasn't even started talking about what it actually is. He's just like, this is why it's important. So I'd encourage you this week, go back through, read through this. And then you're going to read, and I don't, I, I need to start writing down the divisions, but you're going to read some of the rest of chapter one. Maybe all of chapter one. I don't know what it is. But go on the website. You'll see it. Small group leaders, you guys have it already. But, um, and, and we're going to launch. And we're going to go. And I, I want to ask you guys. So first, if there's something I didn't say in here, I don't know where my little card is. If there's something I didn't say in here, go fill out a thing during the time of response. Or, or fill it out after church or whatever. Put it in the offering box. Because I skipped over some stuff. And you're like, what does that mean? Right? Jew first, then Greek. I don't know. There's a, there's a free one. I'm, fr- I'm sure you all were like, what does that mean? I don't have time. <laughs> okay? But let's dig in and let's see what God has for us in this because it is going to be beautiful and it's going to be equipping for us to go out and proclaim the gospel. Allow yourself to be convicted and be changed as God works in and through us as we go through this. So I'm going to pray.